Happy New Year. I'm going to get you warmed up by the end of it, let me tell you. It might be cold, but we're going to get you warmed up. Is that okay? Thank you, one of you. Encouragement. I don't know how long you keep saying Happy New Year, but I'll keep saying it until mid-March, and then hopefully we'll, we'll cover most people as, uh, as they come back into church. And um, I don't know if you remember last year, we started a series in Joshua, didn't we? I'm going to just look at those that are encouraging me this morning, because I need some encouragement. Thank you, Phil. Bless you, mate. I'm just going to preach to you this morning. Is that all right? Good stuff. So we did a message. Into, we started preaching into Joshua, and um, we got stuck on two words, didn't we? In Joshua 3, um, Joshua goes amongst the people. He says, consecrate yourselves today, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among us. And we love the idea of God doing the wonders, don't we? Oh, God, will you perform the mighty wonders? But he's saying, I'm going to do those tomorrow. Prior to that, there's some stuff I want you to do. Today, consecrate yourselves. And so we were exploring this idea of what consecrate yourselves means. Holiness, consecrate, being set apart for God. And what does that mean? And not just doing it on our own, but doing it together. And so we explored the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. And it was so practical. And um, I was reading Joshua 3 during Christmas. And my personality type, I'm a completer finisher. So when I start something, the quicker I can get it done, the better. I'm happy. Done. Task done, which is great being a pastor um, because nothing's ever finished. So uh, task done, finish, tick it off, move on to the next thing. But I couldn't shake the fact that I sensed God was saying, I don't want you to move on. As much as I want to just say, let's get into the crossing over message, let's preach Jericho, all those exciting things, God was saying there's some stuff this side of the river that I want you to dwell on. And so I was reading Joshua chapter 3, and it says this in verse 2. It says, after three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priest, you're to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourself and the ark, don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't been this way before. So what's happened is that the people of God, Israel, have been wandering in the wilderness. They get to this side of the Jordan. It's flooded. They're waiting to cross over into the land that God has promised them, the fullness of the inheritance that God has for them. And he says, just wait this side. And when you are going to cross over, there's this ark. What was the ark? Well, I'm not going to get into the details of what was in it. There's some specific things in it, the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, other things that were in it. But actually, at its most basic level, the ark was the most visible, tangible expression of God's power and God's presence among his people. That's what it was. It, it's not that the ark was God, but it was this representation of his presence. And when the priests carry it into the water, what happens is the waters, these flooded waters, they stop in a heap so that people can cross over. And it's the visible representation of his power. God is working. God is at work. And he says, uh, the, the people that go throughout the camp, these leaders, they say, uh, you need to keep a distance from it. So it's God's presence and God's power, but keep a distance from it. Why, why do they need to keep a distance from it? Maybe it's because they, they feared that it was this all-consuming. It's in Raid of the Lost Ark, you know, when they open the tomb, uh, open the Ark of the Covenant at the end, and it's like this swirling chaos. And Maybe that was it. But actually, the text tells us it's not because they should be frightened of it. But it says in verse 4, I think it is, uh, yeah, keep a distance of around half a mile. Don't go near it, not because you need to be frightened of it, but so that you can see the way to go. Keep your eyes fixed on the visible, tangible representation of God's power and God's presence among his people so you can see the way to go. In other words, there's a big group of people 
And I want the youngest to the oldest, the closest to the furthest away, to be able to see. See the power and see the presence. God's power is to be seen. His presence is to be seen. And don't let anybody miss out. Holiness and consecration uh, and unity. Consecrate yourselves. Make sure everybody can see. So what about us? How does that relate to us? As we're going to dive into some stuff this morning and and the rest of uh, part of this year, I don't know how long, but what does that mean for us? If I could bring out an ark, just wheel it out. Some people would love that and we can dissect the ark and all the meaning of it all. And some people love that. We're not going to do that. Because we don't need an ark. Because we've got the one that the ark represents. The one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the visible representation of the invisible God. His power and his presence among his people is Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Christ is enough for me. We sing it, do we believe it? And so we're going to spend some time encountering Jesus. The officers go through the camp, keep your eyes fixed on the ark. So what are we going to do? We're going to spend some time keeping our eyes on Jesus. We're not crossing over. We're not going to do anything else. We're just going to spend some time looking to Jesus as we explore some of the encounters, as we see him. And we say, will you lead us? Because we've not been this way before. We've not navigated life before because you've never lived older than you currently are. As a church, we've never been where we are before. We've never navigated society as it is before. And so will you lead us? Because we've not been this way before. And we know that we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. As we gather on the second and fourth Sundays here at the URC, as we gather online on the first and third, and we're in gospel communities We're going to start to encounter Jesus and look to him to see which way to go. So if you've got a Bible, if you haven't, then there's some at the back and you can grab one of those and you can keep it. If you haven't got a Bible, uh, there will be some stuff come up on the screen, but I would encourage you, if you've got a Bible, bring it. If you haven't, get a device or something. Uh, Start reading God's word. Uh, And we're going to start um, where the people that encountered Jesus for the first time started. We're going to go back and we're going to celebrate Christmas this morning. Is that okay? Happy Christmas, everybody. If you're not sick of it already, then a story that is so familiar to you, we're going to look at the Christmas story and we're going to encounter Jesus as those first people encountered him as this baby in a manger. So grab your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. Jess, will you come and read Luke chapter 2 for us, uh, verses 1 to 7. That should be on. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinus was governing Syria, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, as she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Thank you. Don't worry, that's great. So a story that is, I'm sure, extremely familiar to you and we're just going to unpack it this morning as we encounter Jesus. Father, as we gather around your word, Lord, I thank you. There is, your word says there's not a moment where you are absent, you are removed, but it says that you are forever with us. You're present amongst us. So Lord, I pray this morning for those that feel perhaps you're distant, feel like you're silent, 
Lord, I pray that we become more aware of your presence, that you're as close to us as the breath that we breathe. And for those that just are, are flying with you and just are just like, wow, God, you're amazing. Lord, I just pray that you'd speak through your word and you'd show us what it is to see you, to be like you, to do what you do in a greater way as a church this morning. Amen. Amen. You know, as a kid, I was convinced I could see in the dark. Absolutely convinced. I would, um, in the middle of the night, I'd get up out of bed and um, I knew my room like the back of my hand and uh, I knew what toys I'd been playing with during the day so I could roll out of bed if I needed to get up in the night and I, could, I just knew in my mind's eye, pitch black, I knew where I needed to go, what to avoid, how many steps to go here. To t- my room wasn't huge but it was, there were little things and Lego was always on the floor. So you know you've got any parent that's ever trodden on Lego, it's like the worst experience in the world. So you've got to avoid all of that and then I'd be able to find the door handle, I'd be able to get out. I knew where to go and I knew what I was doing in the dark. Convinced I could see in the dark. Until one night, and it is vividly in my memory, this one night when I kept banging into something. Walking through the room in the dark and I kept banging into this thing that was about this high on me and I had no idea what it was. I was completely disorientated. It's like, that's not meant to be there. I don't know what that is. And I couldn't figure out how to get out of this room at all that I'd always known the way round. And I realized in that moment that the darkness had disorientated me. That what I thought I understood, I didn't understand that well. That I was all right when I knew where I was and I knew what I was doing and everything was always kind of understood. But the minute I stepped outside of that, the darkness became chaotic and confusing. And in and of myself, I couldn't navigate my way through it. I think this story speaks into navigating our way through chaos and confusion. This story, when we run into the end of ourselves, we've got a choice about what we look at and who we look to in the midst of chaos and confusion. And I would love to stand here at the start of this new year and say, it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be great. God's going to do everything that you want in your life. But I'm bound by the pages of scriptures that I can't say that. If anything, this last two years has taught us the amount of churches, and I'm knocking churches, it was, it's a, I, I wish I'd thought of it, but at the start of 2020, preaching 2020 vision, we can see with clarity what God's going to do. 2020 vision. And then suddenly COVID came along. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. 2020 vision wasn't quite as clear as we thought. We can, un, we can expect the unexpected. And I can stand here at the start of this year and say, there may be some things that go the way you want them to, but there may be some stuff that go the way you don't want it to. And in the midst of chaos and confusion, we've got a choice about who we look to, what we actually believe is fully in control. And so this morning, I want to speak to you around the idea and the concept about uh, that these moments of chaos and confusion are an invitation from God to a deeper level of trust than we've ever had before. And if you know the story of, uh, of the beginning of Luke's gospel, then it's a reminder that in the chaos and confusion, there's an invitation to trust God. You know the story. Mary is visited by an angel, and she's at this moment of life where she is, she's so excited because they're engaged to be married. Young couple. Ever been around a young couple that are getting ready for marriage and, uh, and, and the excitement and the hope and all that that's attached to that? And then suddenly this angel comes and completely derails her life. I've pastored long enough to know that when, when life gets derailed, the, there's two most popular reasons, like excuses that people use. Not excuses, kind of things that they blame. One is, the devil's having a right go at me. That devil. He just wants to derail all of my life's plans. He's making my life an absolute misery. And the other is, 
I've done something wrong, God's punishing me. They're the two most common beliefs when our life gets derailed. The devil's having a go, or I've done something wrong, and God's punishing me. Yet what we see here with Mary is the angel of God comes and tells her and says, in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, it's, he says to her, um, no, sorry, Luke chapter 1, the, the angel comes and says, um, uh, the, the angel of God comes and says, you are going to have a baby. And it's not the devil that comes and derails her plans. Who is it? The angel sent by God. And I'm not saying God authors chaos and confusion in your life. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes we can be so busy blaming the devil that we forget there's naturally an invitation to trust God at a deeper level. And we can think, God, you're punishing me. Why are you punishing me? In Luke chapter 1, it says in verse 30, Mary, you have found favor with God. So I'm going to come and completely disrupt your plans. Not I'm punishing you. No, no, no. You're favored. And because you're favored, you're mine. And so the best thing that can happen to you is the plan and will of God in your life. Will you trust me in the midst of it? And for Mary, her plans are completely interrupted. Her wants, her ways. Think again, not because you're punished, not because the devil's having a go, but because God's in control and you are favored. Will you trust him in the midst of it? And you might have thought that'd be enough. Young couple getting ready to get married. Surely that's enough. But then we start chapter two. And chapter two starts with this moment where the, the, the leader of the nation is telling the people what to do. I'm sure, oh, Siri's having a little mention. Siri, you can tell us later what you think on that. Oh, is it, oh no, you're reading the Bible. That's good. It's more inspired than what I'm saying, I can tell you. The joys of modern technology in church. The Bible starts interrupting the preach. It's the best way. Honestly, it's the best way. But this, what we see at the start of chapter 2 is that the leaders of the nation are starting to tell the people what to do. I'm sure none of us know what that feels like. And the big chief Caesar, he demands that everybody do what he's telling them to do. And he says, I want a little bit more control. I want to understand what's going on in the realms and nations that we're leading. And so everybody has to go back to their hometown to be registered. There's a few things that I just want to look at in the next couple of minutes around what we are tempted to think is in control in the midst of chaos and confusion. Some observations about what, where we've been as a, as, a, as a people recently, where we can be tempted to think other things are in control. And then I'm going to explore some stuff just that, that, that God says, actually, be reminded about these things in the midst of chaos and confusion. And in, in seasons of chaos and confusion, we can so often think that the wrong people are in control. The wrong people are in control. What, like a census? Seriously, Caesar, you're calling a census? When all of this stuff's going on in our life, if Caesar wasn't in control, then we wouldn't have to go for this jolly census and we could just deal with the fallout of, like socially, of us now having to have a baby outside of marriage and all that that stuff holds. But now there's some leader telling us what to do. If only he wasn't in control, it would all be okay. See, in seasons of chaos and confusion, we can believe, begin to believe that the wrong people are in control and they're controlling our lives. And we react to that control and we lose sight of the fact that God is in complete control. Maybe for you it's not international leaders or national leaders. Maybe it's in your own life. There are people that seem to control your life. The joy that you have, the faith that you have. It seems like if only they were gone, life would be a lot better. And the wrong people are in control. 
The Caesars that are telling you what to do. The Herods that are chasing after us. Herod was the one that uh, when Jesus is born, his, his insecurity consumes him. Do you remember? And the, he sends the wise men and, and then says, tell me where he is. And actually his plan is because I want to kill him. I want to get rid of him because he's going to take over. And so his, his insecurity means that he's controlled by his insecurity. So he commands that all the babies under two get killed. Now you could think in that moment, oh, the wrong person's in control. It's causing Joseph and Mary and Jesus to have to flee to Egypt. But actually, God's in complete control. And what happens in that moment is, Joseph has a dream where God speaks to him and says, leave for Egypt and wait there. God does not remove the chaos and the confusion of that leader, Herod. But he says, I'm going to work through it because I want you to trust me at a deeper level than you ever have done before. And so Joseph listens, doesn't go his own way. He responds with listening to God, not forcing his own way, but allowing God to work in and through the midst of the confusion, the chaos, not removing them, but working through them because the invitation is to a deeper level of trust. In seasons of chaos and confusion, there will be times when we think the wrong people are in control. How about this one? In seasons of chaos and confusion, we will begin to believe that compliance is in control. Look at this, verse 3. It says, so everyone went to his own town to be registered. Everyone's being told what to do. You've got to go now because we're telling you, you've got to go and do this. Whether you want to or not, whatever plans you've got, whatever you think you were going to do, no. And in the midst of chaos and confusion, we can start to believe that compliance is in control. It was the same for Jesus. I mean, if you've ever been a time when we thought compliance was in control, look at Jesus, who goes to the cross, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And the scriptures say that he was silent. Compliant. Seems like compliance is in control. When he's hanging on a cross, when he's dead in a tomb, it looks like compliance is won. But we need to be reminded that three days later he rises again and God is in complete control. In seasons of chaos and confusion, we can start to think that the wrong people are in control. We can start to think that, that um, compliance is in control. Look at, look at verse 4. It says, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family line of David. In the midst of chaos and confusion, we can start to believe that our historical background is in control. This is who I've always been. This is who I'm always going to be. This is where I've come from. The script has been written. Historical background seems to be in control. No one from our family has ever gone to university. No way are we going to, as a, as a person, am I going to be able to do that? Maybe, maybe it's, uh, I come from a, a broken family. My parents divorced when I was young. It's written in the stars. The script is written. Marriage is going to fail. Come from a broken background, my future will be broken. We can start to believe that historical background is in control. And we need to remember that the pages of Scripture are filled with a story of a family who continually mess up. But it doesn't define their future. Look at Joseph. He's the family line of David. Who was David? Mighty king, absolutely. Mighty warrior, absolutely. He was a lying, adultering, cheating. Cheat. I'm of that family. It's going to control everything. It's all in control because that's who I am and that's where I come from. But what we don't realize in the midst of that historical background isn't ultimately a control. It's an invitation to a deeper level of trust. Move on. Verse 5 and 6 says that Joseph goes to Bethlehem because he was the family line of David. It says to be registered with Mary, uh, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
In the midst of chaos and confusion, it can sometimes so easily be tempted to feel that inconvenient circumstances are in control. Everything's against me. They're controlling absolutely everything. Seriously, now of all times, God, you could have chosen any moment in history to let the Savior be born, yet you have chosen a time when we're not even married, we're unmarried, and now there's this leader that's telling us what to do and we've got to go and get registered and it can start to feel like everything's piling up all in one go. Have you ever had one of those days when everything seems to happen in one go? The car breaks down, there's a health concern, there's an argument with a family member, the boiler breaks down and it's all in one hour on one day of one week. Had those experiences? Like seriously, it could have happened at any point, but it all comes at once. And in times of chaos and confusion, we can begin to believe that inconvenient circumstances are completely in control. Not just historical background, not just inconvenient circumstances, but how about this one? In the midst of chaos and confusion, we can start to believe that rejection is in control. Look at verse 7. It says, Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, She wrapped him tightly in a cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the guest house. Sorry, there's no room. Sorry, who you are is not welcome here. You're not accepted here. And everything that we hope and desire for life is met with a closed door. Every avenue we turn down is a closed door. And we can start to believe that we are rejected and that rejection has complete control. And if we're not careful, these things become the focus of our attention and the subject of our faith. And we can start to trust in these things. And we need these things to be changed in order for God to be all that he's calling us to be and God to be all that he is in our life. And subtly, these things start to become the God we worship. If only this is dealt with. And we give all our attention, all of our focus on dealing with that, forgetting that God is the one in complete control. And in the midst of chaos and confusion, there is an invitation to encounter Jesus. That's what we're going to explore, encountering Jesus. I've been really impacted by something that Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.12. And it's something that's kind of going to consume my year, I think. But it says this, I know the one in whom I've placed my trust. That one verse. Can I honestly say I know him? I know the one. I know him. Can I give my days to getting to know him? And will I actually give my life to trust him? I know him. And because I know him, I can trust him. Because I know who he is. Church, do we know him? Do we trust him? This year, as a church, there's an invitation for us to see Jesus, to encounter Jesus, to look in full in his wonderful face and the things of earth, all the stuff that we think is in control, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So that's where we're going to go. And so I want to finish with seven things. We'll get through as many as we can. I'm hoping to do seven. It's a good number, isn't it? Number of completion. Good number to, to try and aim for. So we'll see if we can get through seven things. Seven things that we need to remember as we look to Jesus in the midst of chaos and confusion. If that's what happens this year, if it's not, fantastic. But seven things that in the midst of life, because life is tough, isn't it? Good, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm just going to preach to myself because life can be tough can be for me anyway, let alone, guys, you're more godly than me, but it can be tough for me. Seven things I need to remember, and if you want to listen in and take notes, fantastic. But seven things in the midst of chaos and confusion. The first is this, that through it all, don't be afraid. 
Do not be afraid. Verse 10, we see these angels come and visit some local shepherds. And that is a moment of chaos and confusion for these local shepherds. They're busy darning their socks by night. Oh, I thought that might get a giggle. (laughs) And these angels appear, and the first thing they say to them in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, do not be afraid. The temptation in the midst of this is going to, you are going to be frightened. And the angels say, that they know the announcement they're going to make, and they say, God is in complete control. It might seem like chaos to you, but do not be afraid. There was a young couple who were expecting their first child. And they were so excited about the birth of their little baby boy. And their little baby boy was born and they discovered that the baby had Down syndrome. The young couple had no understanding how bad the condition would be. They had no idea how they would cope looking after this baby as he grew. And they were scared. They were afraid. They would come to church and they would sit at the back of church because they were embarrassed what people would say, what people would think, because their child looked different. They would sit at the back so they could quickly leave at the end of each service going unnoticed. And as they promptly try and leave one week, someone from the church manages to get hold of them before they escape. And he takes hold of their child and he holds them in his arms and he's rocking this baby and he looks this baby boy in the eyes and he starts to sob. And as he's sobbing, he says, do you have any idea of the gift that God has given you in this child? This church member went on and said that three years previously, they'd lost their two-year-old daughter, Sylvia, with Down syndrome. And this man says to this young couple, we know the blessing that kids can be. We've got four other children. Yet the most precious gift we've ever received in our entire life is Sylvia. Treasure this child, for he will lead you into the very heart of God. That which they were most frightened of was an invitation from God to trust them deeper than they ever had done before. That young couple from that day forward no longer lived in fear. They trusted in the uncompromising love of God that allowed them in the midst of the chaos and the confusion to give him thanks and to encounter him in a way they never have done before. We don't need to be afraid. The second thing, let me race through these quickly. The second thing is this, verse 11. says, today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Let me say this to you. In the midst of chaos and confusion, we need to look and encounter Jesus and you need to be reminded that there is a savior who was born for you. That's what you need to be reminded of. And I'm not going to unpack this and exegete this. You may need to sit with this for a while as I say this slowly over you. That it's not, it's not that it's, it, everybody else has got it and you haven't. There was a saviour who was born for you. For some of you, that might be a scripture for this year. In the midst of chaos and confusion, remembering that promise, there was a saviour who was born for you. Let it get deep down inside of you. Third thing, in the midst of chaos and confusion that we need to be reminded of as we encounter Jesus, give glory to God. The temptation is to to, to lose sight of God, to keep focused on everything else, to not look at Jesus, not encounter Jesus, but we need to be reminded to give glory to God. Verse 14, we see these angels and make this announcement to the shepherds and they get overwhelmed. 
They're starting to say that this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a savior, a messiah that's going to be born. And they start to get excited because they know what this is, that this story is about. The climax of this moment, the linchpin of history, the savior is coming. And what happens? They start to give glory to God. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and whom his favor rests. They start to give glory to God. I don't have time to unpack what giving glory to God means. Um, we'll do that for another time. But this is essentially giving glory to God is about acknowledging and recognizing who he is. Say, so this is who God is. Whenever there's chaos and confusion, God, you are the one in control. But it doesn't stop there. Giving glory to God is recognizing and acknowledging who God is and living in light of it. God, you are fully in control and I will live trusting you. Even when everything around me is trying to say don't, I will. That's what it means to give glory to God. That we recognize that he alone is the one in complete control and we live in light of it. In the midst of the the loss, we can be grateful to God in moments of sorrow and success, in rewards and rejection. Is it easy? No. It's the life of faith. It's the life of trusting God. Do you think it was easy for Mary when this angel comes and derails all of her life's plans? What happened? What does Mary do? She chooses to give glory to God. We read it. It's called the Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit sings to God my Savior. She makes a choice in that moment in the midst of the chaos and the confusion. I will give glory to God. We need to be reminded of that as we gaze on Jesus and whatever happens this year. Fourth thing, search him out and you will find him. Search him out and you will find him. Verse 16 says of these shepherds that they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. They just had angels come and visit them. Tell them the most bizarre of plans. They're like, what? Chaos, confusion. We're going to go off and we're going to seek him and we will find him. Church, in 2022, could we commit to be a people that seek him out? That keep seeking him? I'm going to speak on that in a couple of weeks' time. But above all else, can we be a people that are committed to spend time with him? Alone, in silence, in solitude, with God, just resting in his presence together. When we have organized things with church, when it's, when it's just spontaneous with other people, let's just, let's just spend some time with him. Let's just be with him. Let's search him out. Let's seek him. Because when you seek him, you will find him, is the promise of scripture. In the midst of whatever happens, can we be that kind of people? Trust me, those moments are not wasted moments. Last couple. Ben, ben could you guys come and start to play? couple more things in a couple minutes. Number five, in the midst of chaos and confusion, something to remember is you need to offer your sacrifice. What we see in verse 21 is Jesus is brought uh, into the temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated to God. Firstborn child, it says, uh, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And so this young couple, they bring their firstborn, Mary's firstborn son, they bring, bring it to the, to the temple to be dedicated to God. And it involved an offering. It involved a sacrifice. Two young turtle doves or a pigeon. Living the life of trust in God is a sacrifice. In the midst of chaos and confusion, there is a sacrifice that is required. Dedicating our lives to following Jesus means laying some stuff down. Laying down some of our wants, our needs, our way. Sometimes it's going to say, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it. Whatever that is, being with God's people, spending time with him when nothing makes sense, when we're not in the mood. Worship costs. 
Following Jesus is a life of trust that requires a sacrifice. Which leads me to the sixth thing. In the midst of chaos and confusion, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, encountering him. And the sixth thing is this, you need to fill your life, not you, I need to fill my life with the praise, worship and promises of God. So I'm just going to make some suggestions this morning. You can make the decisions. In the midst of chaos and confusion, fill your life with the praise, worship and promises of God. Because you will be tempted, all of us are tempted to look at everything that's going on around us and say, that's in control, but we need to be reminded your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever. Hold on to the promises of God. Worship him. Praise him. We see it at the response of those older faithful saints that encounter Jesus in verse 28 to 38. Can I thank those people that can hear me under the sound of my voice in this room, but those throughout generations that have been faithful, committed members of the church that say, even when my life's falling apart, I'm going to be the encourager of those people. I'm going to keep faithful. I'm going to keep committed. Because those are the people that have spoken most into my life. When as a young person, I was doing crazy things in church. I remember one Sunday, I was rapping joy to the world in an Anglican church full of older ladies. And one woman called Tess came up to me at the end and said, John, you are amazing. And she walked away rapping joy to the world. Unbelievable. She spurred me on. She was filled with the praise and worship and promises of God. We see it with Simeon waiting, trusting. Sees Jesus in his response, worship. Declare the promises of God. This is the saviour that's going to be a light to the nations. Anna, holding on through the ups and downs of life. Losing her husband, getting older and older. She's praying and she's fasting. Faithful commitment just to worship God, praise God, to fill her life with his promises. That when she sees Jesus, when she encounters him, she says, there's the promises of God. There's some promises of God that we need to hold on to in the midst of whatever it is we're going through. Can we be a church that fill our life with the praise and worship of promises of God? Not that we come on a Sunday and expect the band to lead us into God's presence. Come on, band, do your best. No, we're here. Let's worship. Come on. Can we worship him? Can we be a people filled with the praise and worship and promises of God? Sorry if I'm feeling like I'm a little bit kind of... But maybe it's because I'm getting closer to 40. I'm just at midlife crisis. Maybe I've got... I don't know how many years I've got left. I may as well say it. Can we be those kind of people... Come on, everyone else, warm me up. Get me into God's prayer. No, come on. Fill our life with the praise, the worship, and the glory of God. He alone is worthy to receive all glory, honor, and praise. And lastly, for some of you, thankfully, this is my last point. Verse 41. It's an amazing story where Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus and they go to the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph leave, but Jesus is left behind. And they suddenly realize and they panic and they rush back to Jerusalem and they're looking for Jesus. And they find him in the temple. And he says, did you not know I'd be in my father's house? And in verse 50, it says of Mary and Joseph, but they did not understand what he said to them. Can I tell you, in the midst of chaos and confusion, as you seek to encounter Jesus, we need to know there will be some things you do not understand. You don't understand them right away or you may never understand them this side of eternity. We have to trust because in the midst of chaos and confusion, as we look to Jesus, there is an invitation to a deeper level of trust. Faith is spelled T-R-U-S-T, trust. And at the start of 2022, whatever I could say to this church, this is what I say. Seek him, encounter him, 
trust him. Whatever this year holds, in the midst of unanswered prayer, in the midst of interior desolation, in the midst of cruel circumstances, the invitation is to a deeper level of trust. Church, can we stand together? We're going to worship and we're going to close. And I want to invite anybody, if you're on the worship team or you're in the the congregation, if you would like to receive some prayer this morning, please come now. We're going to have some ministry. You can just come forward. You can spread yourselves out. People will pray for you. Just lay a hand on your shoulder. Love to pray with you if there's something that's on your heart.